So I want to welcome you. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Good this morning. Good to see you. Yeah, super excited that you're here and uh, super excited to share a message from Joshua with you. So to get our hearts ready and our minds ready to receive the Word of God, we're going to look at our Bibles in Joshua chapter 4 in just a moment. We're going to be reading uh, the Scripture. We're going to be, I'm going to be explaining it, and then we're going to apply it. So uh, we hold in our hands the most powerful book in the world, the most life-transformative book in the world, a book that is God-breathed, a book that really is the divine exha- exhalings of Almighty God. So when we come to the Scripture, we come with great respect and reverence that it's not like any other book. And so if you are able to stand to your feet, I would like to invite you to do so. We're going to read Joshua chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 7. I will read the odd verses, and if you could read the even verses, that would be great. So when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing, in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan, in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, twelve stones in all, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. Then you will tell them, they remind us of the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Thank you. You may be seated. So, Father, as we have gathered here this morning, we thank you for this time, this opportunity in your word, and we thank you for an ancient text that speaks to us even today so so powerfully and profoundly. Father, we need to hear a fresh word from you. We need to hear the voice of God through the word of God. I pray that your words would be transformative for us, that we would see ourselves and our situations through the lens of your scripture. You are a great and an awesome God, and there's no one like you. We've gathered here to worship you and to open up your scripture and ask that you would speak to us now in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying, well, great. The title of the message is The Man, The Moment, The Memorial. I'm going to actually talk about those three things. The man, the moment, and the moment that leads to a memorial that you are to build. So if you're new this morning, you're just joining us, I don't want to presume that everybody is caught up and understands the background here. So what I'm going to do here for a little bit is going to be remedial. I'm going to review, and I'm going to uh, unpack the context here so everybody's on the same page. So here it is. So God's children, the children of Israel, for 40 years have been wandering in the, children, in the, in the desert. So they are being trained. They are being humbled. They are learning about faith, but 40 years in the wilderness. Now they come to the precipice, to the very edge, to the threshold of the promise of God. And they're very close. So after a long journey where they've seen a lot of deaths, they've seen a lot of burials, a lot of funerals, a lot of chaos, a lot of drama. It has been a long journey. And now they're on the brink of the promised land, the verge, this moment, and You would expect it to be an incredible celebration, a spectacular celebration, because 40 years and now we're here, and it's going to happen. But there's no dancing, and there's no tambourines being pulled out. And so they're close to their destination of the promised land, yet another obstacle remains, the raging Jordan River. And they had imagined what it would be like to be in the promised land, 
land flowing with milk and honey. Imagine what it would be like to have their own homes, to be gardening and growing and have a house again. These are people that haven't lived in a house for 40 years. Imagine yourself. Four days you're in transition, and I'm not liking it. Four weeks, and you feel like you're going to die. Forty years, and they haven't lived in a house. They've lived in tents all this time. They've been in a place of transition for 40 years. So the people have been in a temporary state, suspended for 40 years. They have no house. They have no address. They have no place, or back, no, no backyard where their children can play. Everything is transitory in their life. 40 years of being nomadic. 40 years of being on the move. And then, to top it off, the unthinkable happens. Moses, the great patriarch, the great prophet, the great deliverer of the land, is now dead. God announced in Joshua chapter 1, Moses, my servant, is dead. The legend, the greatest of all time, grown men, are now crying like babies. Mothers, women are waking up in the middle of the night and you can hear them wailing. The nation is crying because something, a man so rare, someone so hard to find, so unique, so powerful, so in touch with God, such that the Bible says, with him, God said, I speak face to face. Literally means mouth to mouth. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, the Bible says in Exodus as one speaks to a friend. What a relationship. What a man who hears from God. Moses who parted the Red Sea. Moses who turned bitter water into sweet. Moses who lifted up the servant in the wilderness and healed them of all their diseases. Moses who gave them the Ten Commandments. The man now is dead. The greatest of all time. The deliverer, the prophet. He was gone. And now the people there have been murmuring and they really created hell for Moses uh, the same ones in that were dancing around naked around the golden calf now are weeping because Moses is gone. Moses who taught us the ways of God. Moses who taught us the word of God. They left such a huge, immense hole in the corporate heart of the nation there that they were just trying to get their minds around it. They couldn't believe that Moses was dead. So Moses now being dead here seemed like their future hopes and dreams were gone. They thought that the man that spoke to God and heard God's voice, that he was dead, and the hopes, their hopes were also dead. And so Moses, the servant, is dead, and perhaps so are we. Maybe the promise of God is dead. Maybe we won't go on. Maybe the conversation of the promised land is over, because Moses is dead. The greatest that has ever lived is dead. So they thought that God had like put a period in their history. But they were wrong. It was just a comma. And so God didn't say to himself, oh, Moses is dead. What am I going to do? Who's going to lead the children of Israel? No, God didn't skip a beat. God merely turned his head. And without hesitation, his gaze falls upon Joshua's servant. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. But just as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. Moses may have been the goat, the greatest of all time, but Joshua, I will be with you. So don't be afraid. Three times God had to tell him, be strong and of good courage here. But friends, I want all of that to say this. Knowing that God is with you changes everything. It changed everything for Joshua. Now he's the general. Now God makes Joshua 
the man, the new man there. But I want to say this, that the man is stepping into the unknown. And How often do we, when we're stepping into the unknown, we're stepping into to seasons of fearfulness, and there's much to be fearful about in our culture today. You have to keep leaning into and keep getting back to that you are a people whom God is with, that God is with you. He's not against you. He is for you. So Joshua now is stepping into a new place, a new opportunity, a new responsibility, a new story, a new role in his life, a new identity of being a general and not just a servant. So now they're getting to the Jordan River. Jordan River was abnormally swollen with water, 50 times what it normally is. Normally, you could just walk across it, get a little water on your feet there, but now it's an absolute impossibility to to cross. Had they gotten there sooner, they could have walked over like it was a stream. Now, they're in a bad place. They can't cross over. And so Joshua, who's who's a rookie, he's in a rookie role, and the people don't necessarily trust him. He's not really the man like Moses was the man. They're still sniffling still crying, still down in the mouth that Moses has died here. So how do we know? They're thinking, how do we know that God is really with Joshua like he was with Moses? I mean, how do we know that he's going to do anything, even if he is with Joshua? How do we know he's going to do anything with Joshua like he did with Moses there? So the people are doubting. The people are wondering here. But Joshua had to step into the water. We saw last week that the Bible said, When your feet, the feet of the priest, hit the water, the water will be pushed back. So there's a people on the banks of the Jordan River. We talked about how it's so easy to live there in the the Christ-following life, to want to just live in in the shadows of the banks of the Jordan River and not get out and trust God where it's uncomfortable and you have to take a risk and you have to go down and get your feet into a raging water, intimidating waters of the Jordan River. Jordan, Joshua had to keep walking down even though he didn't see any evidence of God's working. God would meet him when he hit the water, but not before it. It is so true of our own lives. We want God to meet us before we have to get into the water and get our feet wet and get uncomfortable and get into an intimidating situation. We want God to meet us on the banks. That's not how God rolls. That's not how God operates. He meets you when you get into the water, when you're willing to step into the water. And I get it that when you live that kind of life, people who don't appreciate faith are going to look at you. They might talk about you. They might text about you. They may not like you and like your choices and your decisions here. But the Christ-following life is a walk of faith. And so, yeah, people may Facebook about you or whatever. But all of a sudden, Joshua and the priest stepped into the water. And that's when God showed up. God met them halfway. And friends... I want to say this. We have to stop expecting God to show up in our lives. God to show up in our circumstances. God to dynamically show up when we want to stand safely like a statue on the shores of the Jordan River. Where we're not willing to get down where where real faith is happening when you have to get into the Jordan River. So friends, if you want God to work in your life, you have to be willing to move into uncomfortable spaces and trust that God is going to show up. The Lord met the children of Israel halfway. He didn't meet them on the banks there of the Jordan River. So you have to be willing uh, 
to feel, we have to feel the text. So I want to help us feel the text. They had to get their feet wet. Think of it. Some of them, they may have had mud squishing between their toes. Others of them, they may, they may have had to take their shoes off. Some of them may have taken some garments off. Some of them may have got their hairdos messed up. Because when faith steps out, friends, it can be a little messy. It can be a little uncomfortable. And so this was the moment. We have the man. Now we have the moment. The transcendent moment here where there's a priest here and a priest there. And there was God in the middle of them. And so God made the waters roll back here. So the priests were instructed, take a stone, each of you, and pile them up by the place where we entered the water there. It's going to be stones of memorial. So here's the moment I want to describe it a little bit more for you if you want to look at the screen. When all the people, uh, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, that's a defining moment. That's a moment that they need to memorialize because that moment changed everything for them. The Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. That was the place of remembrance. That's where the rocks of remembrance were to go. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. Camp tonight where lots of people are going to see the stones and wondering what the stones are all about. Next verse. Why does God tell Joshua to build a memorial? Somebody, why does God tell Joshua, I want to see a physical memorial? Why would he, why would he say, get all these stones and put them together? So the, the question is, when do you build a monument? It's when it happens. When it happens, when any defining moment, any defining faith moment happens in your life, the Bible's saying here, build a monument. Why did they build a monument themselves? Additionally, the children of Israel, God's people, they didn't really even have a name. And then they were named by their enemies, the Hebrews, which means the people that cross over. This became a defining moment in their lives because they crossed over the Jordan River. Perhaps with your life, when you cross over something that is defining for you, then the Bible is saying, hey, you should memorialize that. More about that in just a moment. They faced an overwhelming challenge. One, the raging Jordan River. Two, fortified walls of Jericho. Three, and uh, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the mosquito bites. And then on top of that, they faced... Uh, Superior weaponry. So they had, they, they, were, they had a daunting challenge there, which they were overcoming here. So why do you build a memorial? Why does God tell Joshua to build a memorial? Could it be, friends, that we're subject to forget? I'll ask this. Could it be that we're, sub, that we're subject to forget? Thank you. I'm going to ask this. Could it be that we're subject to forget? Yeah. And so... We're prone to forget, right? And so what does God do? He says, well, let's help you remember. I want to show you a few scriptures that exemplify and demonstrate this point about forgetting. Because it's not just here. It's throughout the Bible. Watch. So Deuteronomy. Well, watch out. Be careful. What? Never to forget. Forget what? What you have seen with your eyes. Do not let these memories escape. Why? Because they do. Okay? From your mind as long as you live. Your entire life you're never to forget these things. And be sure to pass them on to your children and your grandchildren. They're to be trans 
generational. Defining moments to be transgenerational, faith moments. Watch the next verse. It says, watch yourself that you don't forget because you do. The Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. You want to memorialize that. Next verse. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. There it is again. Next verse. Do not become proud, because sometimes in your pride and your arrogance, you can think it's all about me, and you forget the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the slavery in the land of Egypt. You forget where you came from. You forget your roots. Next verse. Remember the Lord your God. He's the one who gives you the power to be successful, the power to make wealth. So there it is, Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, talking about that you need not to forget there. So friends, do you get the message? Do we all get the point? Get the message. So, uh, so remember the Lord your God. So it is easy to forget God is your source, that he is the one. And it's easy to think that, especially as you go down the road and you experience measures of success, to think that you are your own source. It's easy to think, it's all from me. It's all about me. It's all through me. It's all because of me. It happened to them. It happens to you. So it's easy when you've gone from nothing to something to forget how you got there. That's what it's talking about. It's easy to forget that at one time you had a bike. Remember when you had a bike? I had a bike when I was in, I was in, I had a bike when I was in dental school. And I graduated from a bike to an old beater. Yeah, I don't have to ride the bike. I got a beater. And I forgot about the bike. Forgot about what it was like to ride the bike. And then when I got out of dental school, I got a used car. And I forgot what it was like to drive the beater, much less the bike. See, and that's what happens. You forget. You forget. You forget when you're living in an apartment. Now you're able to live in a house. Maybe you rent it. It's a small house and a starter house. And then you get maybe a bigger house. And you forget what it was like to live in the apartment. See, you forget. You can think like, yeah, because I'm making more money and I'm successful and all of this, and you forget just like it talks about here. So God says, I want to help you not to forget. I want to help you to remember who are who is your source that you would build memorials. So God tells the people, I want you to build a memorial so you remember this day, so you never forget the goodness of God, that he alone is your source. So therefore, we remember with a memorial. It's saying this, saying that you will perpetually, this is a perpetual reminder that the only reason, the children of Israel, that you cross the Jordan River, you're reminded when you see those stones that this was God, that this was God's work here. And so I want to build a memorial that will cause my people to remember this, that I'm the right now God. Like, you needed me, like, right now. And I came through. And you can tell that to your children generation after generation. When your children ask you, hey, like, what's the, like, what's the deal with these stones? And you'll tell them what these stones mean. So see, friends, our faith is to be a transferable faith. Transferable faith from generation to generation. And so another reason why God have them build that, is that it would be a visual reminder, a visual reminder of where God had brought them from and took them to. So again, they tell their children, hey, this is where it happened. When they're going like, 
Hey, what's the deal with the stones? This is where it happened. God met us right here. We were stuck and we were without hope. There was a raging river. And so this is the place against all odds. God met us right here. So you have the man, okay? You have the memory. Now you have the memorial. And the, mem the memory precipitates the memorial. The memorial comes from the memory of what God has done. So, friends, we all have to build memorials in our lives. We all have to build monuments in our lives. When the children of Israel pass over to the other side, they're going to turn the moment, became a God moment, became a memorial. And so you literally build a monument in your life to what? To God's faithfulness in your life. So what is, a mem what, what is the memory? What is the monument? It points you to God. It points other generations to God. It points you to God's power. It points you to God being the deliverer. A memorial is something then that you remember. So a memorial is something that speaks to you and speaks to your children. A memorial is your story. A memorial is your history. A memorial is your legacy. See, a memorial, God said, take these stones and pile them up, not off in the distance, but right where you live. So God said to the children, to the children of Israel, they will see these stones and they will know what God did there. Again, transgenerational is to be our faith. So how many times do we leave Jordan River experiences, a Jordan River moment, where God has showed up, where God has made himself real, and we forget to build a memorial. And we do the very thing that the Bible is talking about here. We forget, we forget, we forget, we forget, we forget. I'm telling you, friends, it's prevalent in the culture, it's prevalent in the church culture today to forget. And so too many times we're simply glad just to, just to do life and just get by. Friends, our story, our God's story has life stones along the way that need to be memorialized. So I want to show you Joshua chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. It says this. It says, we will use these stones to what? To build a memorial. There it is, friends. That's what you're to do. In the future, there will be a future. Your children, your children's children will ask you, well, what does this mean? So then you can tell them, they remind us. There it is. Remind us that the, that the Jordan River stopped flowing. That speaks of God's acts. These stones will stand as a memorial again and again okay, to the people of Israel forever. So parents could tell their, tell their children, here's what God did here. So you have to build monuments in your life, and I want to talk about that. Joshua just took a pile of stones. They're memorial stones, but they told the story here. But God is insisting that we have a physical, visible reminder of how he has inter interacted and engaged our lives. So why would you want to build a monument? To preserve your story, your God's story. So your story could go down in your personal family history. So it could be a landmark uh, that would speak for generations, that would speak that God was able then, and God is able now, and God will be able in the future. See, a memorial that 
would remind future generations, it's not only about what God has done, but about what God will do. And so God's people then had these stones, and the stones were what? They're declaring, they're screaming that the Lord is faithful in that day and reminding us that the Lord will be faithful in our day. So the, memorial, so the stones then, the memorial stones, are retelling the story that needs to be retold, that faith might be transferred from generation to generation. The pile of stones, a physical reminder that God has been good, and there is no one like our God. So we remember what God has done here. So uh, they would. In, uh, so one of the things with a defining moment that you do with your God-only story, I want to show you what we are going to do at the ranch right here. We are going to literally have a pile of stones like that. And we're going to write on those. Isn't this exciting? What we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to, write, we're going to write on the stones a few different things. We'll write about 2007, we opened our doors. 2019, an old chicken ranch was bought. It's going to become God's house. Yeah, come on, somebody. And so 2023, I'll say, we began construction on the ranch. So we'll have scriptures uh, throughout the campus here declaring what God has done here. It's going to be awesome. Not only that, but we've kept artifacts from the ranch. From the day that I got a key to it, I started collecting them. They're even in my garage, and uh, sometimes I get some heat for that, and I deserve it. But there's artifacts in my garage, in our garage. There are artifacts that we have in storage that we're going to pull out. People say, what are these artifacts all about? Well, this was once a chicken ranch. Now it's God's house. And look, here's evidence it was once a chicken ranch. And so it's going to be super cool. But, uh, but let me show you, friends. You've got to build, have monuments in your life. So I want to show you from my own life, from my own office, a couple monuments. The first one is this right here. You're probably wondering, well, well, what is that and why would that be valuable to you? Because this is the first day that I landed in Africa with my two sons. And I, always, I wanted to bring them for the longest time, but I could, never, I could never just make it happen. It happened and I realized, this reminds me, that God can make a way where there's no way. So what happened was, where this came from, our first day we got there and my my sons were passing out soap and supplies to really, really poor people. And I was playing soccer with these kids. And they were kicking this ball around. And I had a brand new American soccer ball with me. And I said, hey, um, could I trade you your soccer ball for the American soccer ball? And they said, yeah. And I tucked it away and I, I kept it. And it's, it's precious to me. It's obviously it's just plastic with a bag of stuff inside of it but this is what they played soccer with but it sits in my office and every time I see it I'm reminded that God just makes a way where, where there's no way and my son Garrett is in Zimbabwe at this very place this morning as I'm speaking and I can't help but think that I can't help but think but some of the seeds that were planted when we went, my other son that went this morning, he's in Nepal this morning as I speak. And I just, but, but I'm so grateful. So it's a memorial for me. It seems like if you looked in there, think, what's the heck with Rod keeping a bag up in it? But, but it's, it's precious to me. 
that's what I'm talking about. It's a, it's a faith moment that I, that, I'm, that I relive every time I go in my office. Another uh, thing that I have in my office, I actually have many, but um, is it, I'll give you the backstory. is it, uh, we go to Ironwood, we do man camps at Ironwood, we done a, did a woman's camp at Ironwood, and I had this idea that was completely outside of anything that Ironwood had ever done, and I, and I, I, I proposed the idea of, uh, of having a, a fireside experience where we would take their branding irons that they have, that they brand their cattle with, and they brand their horses with, and they've done it uh, through their entire 50-year history, and we have those, those irons. Well, one's an old one, a newer one. But we have those, and, the, and this is it right here, uh, what it looks like. It's a broken eye. And it speaks of your best life is when you're broken. There's a scripture on here, Psalm 51, 17. It says, a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise, O God. So I had this idea to have men go up and they would be willing to want to live that out, to take that iron and to sear it into the wood and to, to take it home as a, as a memorial. They wanted to be, Psalm 51, 17, broken in a contrite heart before God. Because just like a horse, a horse is valuable when it's broken, has no value when we're straight up eyes. But when you're like that, you're broken and you're valuable and usable to God. And I wanted all the guys to go to, to be able to look at this every day and to be reminded that, yeah, when I'm broken before God, that's when, when I'm usable. And I want to be like that. I don't want to be an independent proud, arrogant person. I want to be broken before God. And so those are a couple of my memorials, my monuments. They come from moments. So I want to encourage you to do the same thing. That our faith could be passed on. That One day I'll give this to my sons. And I hope they'll give it to their sons and to their sons. And never remember, never forget that God made a way that you could come to Africa. And so, Father, thank you for your word, which is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. Thank you for Joshua 4. I pray you take the words that were written and you would take a match and you would light them and they would burn in our hearts. In Jesus' name.